I mean, in Glasgow alone, there is, you know, 30 to 40% of children waking up in the morning are in poverty. You know, they're not going to get a breakfast. Hello and welcome to the Making the Difference podcast with me, your host, Kirsty Gilchrist, where I get to speak to different leaders from around the world who are currently making a difference. This podcast is my playground where I get to deep dive into the world of strategy where people share how they're reaching their vision, the highs and the lows, so that you can listen, reflect and act. So come and join me and see how you too can make a difference. Here we are for another episode of Making the Difference. I'm really, really pleased to be here with Jimmy Wilson from FAIR. And we have already been chatting loads about FAIR because I have been here before with another hat on. And it's been quite, it's been quite an incredible story, which I'll let Jimmy tell you. Yes, yeah, so I, I, I'm originally from Greenock. I was brought up in poverty. I got in, involved in a lot of uh, gang violence, substance, substance misuse when I was uh, when I was a young teenager. Uh, to get away from that, I, I joined the armed forces when I was 16. Eventually I left when I was 17 and went and done my training with Catrick Garrison down in England. And then before I knew it, I was in Osnabrück in Germany uh, as a young 17-year-old. Couldn't really handle discipline originally. I was in and out of the jail a lot uh, for various uh, drunken nights out and, and a whole host of other nonsense. And then, you know, eventually I, I was probably close to, to getting kicked out of the, of the, of the forces and got my act together and, and then soon started getting promoted, you know, and really then paying attention to what was needing done. I then got married round about 27 years old. For the first two years, my I was only seeing my wife about four months, so I wanted children, so I decided that uh, Armed Forces was no longer for me and I left when I was 30 years old. I originally joined another charity. I wanted to help young people who were in a similar position to myself when I was young. So I joined a, a charity called Tomorrow's People. I stayed there for just, just over a year. And then I was offered the job at, at FAIR to tackle gang violence in, in, in Easter House uh, as a senior manager. And that was in 2003. Uh, and I've been here ever since. You know, taking the organisation through many strategies and, and, and a whole host of, you know, which we may come on to, Mission Drift and various other things that it's not went quite so well. So... You've been here for 20 years. That That's a long time for a, a, a CEO and, and for a leader to be in, within one organisation. And you've still got the same energy, as it looks like you've still got the same energy <laughs> as you did when you first started. So was it was it vision that got you there? And, and I mean, what does strategy mean to you? I think strategy to me means basically a plan to achieve your objectives and or goals. And I, I, I kind of learned that when I was in the forces. You know, so even as, as a basic thing, if you're a, a section commander within the forces and you've, you've got to take a trench as an example, you need to come up with some form of strategy of how you're going to do it. You know, how, how are you going to achieve that goal of, of taking that trench? You know, and it, there may well be half your section going around one side whilst you're going around or whatever. But the, the, the forces really taught me a, a lot about management and or strategy, which I have then been able to take it into to, to civilian life you know, and, and and lead from the front. But I think overall, it's just, it's a way of achieving your goals for your organisation. And it sounds like if you're in the army as well, it's about the tactical stuff as well, isn't it? Because you have to be really quite tactical. Yeah, 100%. You've got to be tactical. You know, you, know to, you need to know about, you know, replenishing, you know, your staff as, as an example. You know, if I use COVID as, as an example, our staff are really tired after COVID, you know, and you've got to replenish the energies and, you know, and, You've, 
when we were delivering throughout COVID, we had to be very tactical with how we did it. You know, there was lots of planning, preparation put in place. You know, one of the things I learned within the armed forces was a thing called the seven Ps. And if anybody's listening from the armed forces, that they'll know what I'm talking about, which is a uh, proper preparation and planning prevents piss poor performance. <laughs> and uh, when I joined FAIR, all I used to talk about was these seven Ps and some of the staff were still here. Uh, just to, just get annoyed with me because <laughs> I'd be coming out with all these seven Ps uh, and constantly reminding them that planning and you know performance and and getting things right and preparing and aye, it just stops not all not everything but stops many things going wrong. Yeah, yeah. Can I ask you to put that bit of paper down? <laughs> I'll edit that bit out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that having that, it's it's about discipline, isn't it, as well, and being able to be quite consistent and regulated and being able to to have a consistent message to your staff. And sorry, yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean. You know, the strategies there written by by the, the, the staff team presented to the, the, the board of trustees and they then have their input into it. I think one of the things about strategies is if you, if you go bottom up and you and you involve your team in it, you're more likely to achieve Absolutely. everything that's in there. Yeah. You know, and the way FAIR do theirs is we have an overall uh, strategy for the organisation, but each team has their own strategy and within that strategy there'll be certain KPIs that they need to meet within their own for example the skills uh, entertainment team will have KPIs in there that they need to meet which will then in turn allow the overall organisational strategy to yeah. achieve its aims and what they, that team will do is is work with every member of staff to to write that strategy so we whilst we have an organisational strategy we've got actually five underlying strategies yeah because one of them also is the finance and governance team yeah and that's crucial, actually. Yeah, uh, finance and governance. The finance and governance. And so if I take us back within my journey and fair to 2008, when we were trying to get this building built, we had a five-year strategy, and it was about mainly about uh, how we were going to achieve raising £2 million. It ended up we only needed 1.7, but that strategy we delivered in about two years, and hence why we moved in the building in 2010. At the same time, there was a, the, the financial crash in 2008. And when we moved into this new building, we never had a strategy fit for purpose because the strategy that we had was about this new building well, campaign. about the building rather so two, than what happened next. Yeah, so yeah. 2008 to 2013. And what then happened was we then didn't, because we didn't have a proper strategy, we had loads of mission drift. Yeah. And if I'm totally honest, as a leading, front leading CEO and or at the time I was deputy CEO and services manager, I was just pushing to deliver services on behalf of the local communities to tackle poverty. And I forgot about the backroom function. Yeah. And again, if I'm totally honest, I nearly brought the organisation to its knees because the backroom function is there to support everything that the operational team needs. Mm -hmm. And if you've not got that proper backroom function, then it starts inhibiting what the operational team can yeah. achieve. Yeah. And that was a... It was a very solid lesson for me and, and never to, to be done again. And so how long did it take for you to really realise that that was unravelling? Probably moved in here on June 21st, 2010. I'm, I'm going to say probably about three years, but one of, again, one of the reasons for that was because of the financial crash. Yeah. There was less money within the, the charitable sector and, and we, 
we'd moved into this 1.7 million building. We'd came from six houses in a tenement flat where we were paying a pound a year. And then we had all these bills that yeah, we, yeah. we, we didn't know about, you know. So for example, water tax as an example and a host of other things. It was a quick learning curve. So because of that, we were grasping at any funding application yeah. or any funding that had become available. And definitely the three years were not good for fairs and fairs journey. They're mm-hmm. probably the worst three years of my 20 years at fair because we didn't have a proper strategy. Yeah. You know, and, and that's then causes lots of issues. So would it be fair to say that you were at that point totally following the vision of, of answering to the community and just developing? Yeah. And, and therefore it might have been mission drift, but only in the sense of, I was being in the sense of not saying no to anything, but you had to do it. Otherwise you weren't doing what you thought you were meant to do. Yeah. But then not, yeah, in terms of strategic stuff or in terms of the... Did the, the, the community asks every year about different things they, 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 they want. And it's part of the consultation, as an example, for this building. So the amount of young people that wanted a swimming pool in it. Right. It was, you know, you can't, we can't have everything. Yeah. And, and between 2010 and 2013, I would agree with you, Kirsty, because we didn't have a strategy written down, when we were doing, we were still doing the consultations, when they were asking us for it, we were trying to provide that service. Yeah. We were a bit all over the place, you know, and I have to put the, my hands up as, as the deputy CEO and services manager that we were a bit of a mess. But if you were, I mean, I, I can also understand why you'd have done that because it all got to that place. Because if you're that massive goal, which was getting the building, you achieved it, then then suddenly it's like, <laughs> where do we go, where do we go now? We're here, you're right. Where do we go now? You know, and how did we get here? Oh, yeah. But we were about three years early. And actually, people thought we were a bit crazy. We were starting the wellness campaign in 2008 when everybody, <laughs> everybody was up in arms and yeah. nobody had any money, et cetera, et cetera. But you still actually achieved that, which possibly meant that this next bit was like, yeah, well, we'll if you want a swimming pool, we can do it. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's quite interesting. So if we take it back from that point where you realise that you didn't, have a strategy and then you really needed to work out actually what what were you going to do with this and where we're going to go when and how did you know you had that kind of vision and that it had legs and that actually this was it did did you or were you feeling your way or what changed I had faith in myself and the team and actually had faith in the community you know so what the community were asking us to do and the social issues that the community had within Easter House they were very similar social issues that the Scottish government were writing about and, and their policies and their strategy, strategies. So round about 2013, I then went and sought funding to get assistance in pulling a new strategy together. And eventually we contacted Community Enterprise in, in Scotland, CEIS, who, who came on board. And we had a number of uh, strategy days with both the, the team, you know, from the newest volunteer uh, to the most senior person, the CEO at the time, uh, Rosemary. And then we then worked with the board as well. And we got a, a really good strategy in place from 2013 to 2016, which, which was a godsend because it allowed us to then look at what's needed in, in the community, what Scottish government policy and Glasgow policy, various policies, what they had set to, to work in communities and how our consultations and or strategy worked alongside them, but not driven by them. Yeah. And I would 
say that all the time about our strategies. Our strategies do work very closely with both Glasgow and other local authorities and our Scottish government and our national government. Yeah. But they're not driven by them. Yeah. Our strategies are driven bottom up from the communities we serve. And therefore avoiding mission drift again. 100%. So you, you know that you've got that faith in, like you say, in your leadership, but actually in the community of going, this, this is what they're saying. And it sounds like you've got trust in your own systems. I do now, you know, you know, but again, if I, I go back to 2010, we didn't have the systems we had in place weren't fit for purpose, but organizations were willing to help us as a, as an example, CIS or one of our biggest funders, Inspiring Scotland. They allowed us to, to re-identify round about 2009, a 10-year fund called the 1419 fund, which is to help young people for, age 14 to 19 after the financial crash to get into employment, education or training. And what they also brought to the table was uh, the opportunity of pro bono support. And, and we grasped that with both hands, or I certainly did. We, we recruited two new board members, one being an accountant, one being a solicitor. They're still on the board to this day. That really helped, you know, me as the deputy CEO. It also helped the local other trustees yeah. uh, to, to galvanise, uh, look at strategy in a different way, get the strategy in place. Yeah, so, and also I, I went through a number of mentoring programs with different mentors that, that Inspiring Scotland found me. And eventually I went on to an executive coaching with, with a, a, a guy called Drew Cameron, who was absolutely influential in my life. Yeah, so there was a whole host of things. We looked at evaluation differently. We thought we were good at evaluation, but actually when it came down to it, we back in 2010, pretty poor at it. Yeah. I would suggest nowadays we're, we're pretty good at it. So yeah, there was lots of, whilst the money was coming from an organisation like Inspiring Scotland, there was a host of other support which allowed us to then grow and flourish. So before that, it sounds like you, you actually, though that you were embedded in the community and you were doing with the community that as well, it was actually quite isolating or you could have been quite isolated. Even though you were a whole community unit driving and there would have been lots of energy, but actually once you were able to be sort of galvanised by those and having offers and having, you know, Inspiring Scotland coming in, then it sort of, that just becomes a whole bigger thing, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it allows you time to breathe. Yeah. You know, we were firefighting a lot between 2010 to 2013. IES came in and given us that pro bono support and it wasn't just me there was our senior managers getting support from from their you know hundreds of volunteers you know it allowed us to take a breath get ourselves sorted get the strategy in place and to be honest we've probably not looked back yeah you know no absolutely you know they had faith in us in span scotland at the time and 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 i certainly as is the deputy at the time grasped it yeah with both hands yeah which is a brilliant lesson for everybody, I think. It's like, if you have an opportunity and something's offered, you take yeah. it, whatever. <laughs> yeah, pro bono support is, I mean, we've had lots of, the amount of pro bono support we've had from, not just in Spanish Scotland, I would say there's, there's other organisations out there who are willing to help. And if you get offered and it's the right fit for you, then definitely take it. Yeah. You know, Yeah. you're not on it, you're, you're not on this journey, you're on your own. There's other organisations who, who want to assist we, we, we've got the knowledge of the communities that we work in and these other organisations may not have that. And it could even be Scottish Government, it could be Glasgow City Council, whoever it may well be, take it if it's offered. And I suppose another right. thing is is to ask 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think anybody knows me knows that I'm not I'm not slow in asking, you know, and if if I if I've got a problem and I can't get around it, I'll certainly share it with, with my co- you know, fellow CEOs across the charitable sector or with funders or, or anybody who'll listen to me that I think might have the answer for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what did you feel or sort of on the journey that you've been that you had needed to overcome on your leadership journey to achieve the vision? I've struggled most of my... So I took over the CEO's position in 2014 and most of my life I've struggled with imposter syndrome. You know, we've got... We've turned 3.1 million. We're about to turn 4.2 million. We've got all these new projects we've built over the last five to 10 years. And, And even yet to this day, I still... I still doubt myself and, and why I'm here and how I got here, you know, probably from my days of going through poverty myself, lack of education, leaving school with no, no qualifications, having to re-educate myself in the, in the, in the armed forces, et cetera, et cetera. I've really struggled with that. However, on, on a positive side, I, I would suggest that that self-doubt has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground. Yeah. I don't think there's, there's anything wrong with self-doubt. If, if you don't have a bit of self-doubt, your ego probably overtakes and, and, and you, you get ahead of yourself and forget the reasons why maybe you're in the job that you're in as a charitable leader. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, it's been it's been a difficult journey, actually. You know, yeah. and if my, my wife is sitting here, she would say that. Yeah. You know, that there's been times where I've been in, within my own inner self, really struggled with my own mental health. Yeah. And it's all down to imposter syndrome. I work on it every day. I have self-doubt every day. But as I said, there's a positive side to that. And, it, and it's definitely that your ego doesn't, Start. You don't start tripping over it. And and I, and I've, yeah, I listen every single day to the, the the newest volunteer to our modern apprentices. Some of them have the best ideas for assisting tackle poverty in our community. I would suggest that other leaders, you know, I hope I would hope that other leaders remember that young people that you employ or are volunteers are listening to other young people and/or adults within their own communities. You know, so. Yeah. I may be putting words into your mouth, so excuse me if I am and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like the way that you deal with it is that you go from leading to serving to lead. So yeah. you sort of look at those young people that that just gives you... It's not just the young people, it's the adults. You know, if you ask my senior, my senior leadership team, whilst the, I always make the final decision, I very rarely make a decision without speaking to them. You know, I'm, I'm pretty open in getting opinions. And I like opinions. And there's been times where I've went into a meeting where I think I'm going to do one thing and actually I've come out of the leadership meeting and I've done something totally different. Yeah. But on the back of, you know, sharing a problem is, is, is good, in my view, good leadership. Yeah. And I would hope that, my, you know, all the leaders who work under me would agree that I do that yeah. on an every single day uh, basis, you know. I, uh, and, and because being a CEO is, is, is lonely. Yeah, yeah. You know, see, see when you're to- at the top of the, the tree, you know, and, and I didn't, again, that's probably why I've got imposter syndrome. I sometimes have to pinch myself because I never ever thought I'd be in the position I'm in. Yes, I've helped grow fair. I've got over 90 staff now who, who depend on me and all the leadership team making the right decisions to move the organisation forward. And by sharing it with the leadership team, you've got about six leaders within that team. By sharing those, those issues that we, we face on a day to day basis, it makes my job easier and it's not as lonely. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely get that. So what is success for FAIR for you when you think of the vision and, and just describe what that, what is it? Success for FAIR is is 
me seeing young people and or families get out of poverty. You know, I, I think that's it in a nutshell. I come in every day. I, I love my job. If you cut me in half, it would say fair. But, you know, I introduced you earlier on to one of our young ex-apprentices who's now just about to go into a full-time contract. You know, his journey through trauma and various other things, to see him on that journey over the last three to four years has been remarkable. And I've watched other and, and guided other young people over the last 20 years through, you know, meeting them on the streets when I was a, a, a young manager at FAIR, when I was doing street work, to then seeing them being a senior manager at FAIR. You know, and, and our deputy CEO, as an example, started FAIR when he was eight years old, and, he, and he's now the deputy CEO, and, and he will be the future CEO, I hope, of FAIR, because then he'd, he would have went full circle. Yeah, which would be amazing. Absolutely incredible. So that, that's success to me. I think you've just answered the question, but what gives you the most energy? And that's thinking about the vision, the strategy, you know, the, what yeah, you're doing. I, I, you know, there's different styles of leadership and there's there's different styles of uh, different things that our whole leadership within FAIR, some some are brilliant at one thing and not so good at another thing. And I'm, I'm part of that. I would say that for myself, I'm a visionary. I look to the future. What are we going to need in, in 18 months? What are we going to need in three years? And I think over the last 10 years, I think that's been the success of FAIR. About 10 years ago, I went and done a business plan for to start an nursery within Barrettine House. It didn't stack up. The business plan didn't stack up. However, vision of seeing 1140 hours then being granted to 35-year-olds, I could see it coming. So about a year before it, it was implemented by Scottish Government, you know, they were talking about it. I went and done the, the business plan for FAIR and it stacked up because we own our own building. If yeah. we had to rent a facility, it might not have quite stacked up. Yeah. But the business plan stacked up. Again, it was vision of looking what's coming. Quickly, we, we got mobilised, we changed the toilets built, the, the board allowed us to spend, you know, just over £100,000 redeveloping the building. And we were meant to open in, in August of 2020. However, again, March, 20, uh, March 23rd of 2020, bang, COVID. So we delayed it for a year. Mm-hmm. And, and now we've got a facility downstairs, over 50 children, aged two to five, it's not only a nursery, an early years establishment for, for young children, two to five, and all their families, it's also our employability team then work with the families to try and get them into employment. And we also provide employment for new 16 to 25-year-olds who want to do a modern apprenticeship. Because we're in the SQA centre, we deliver the Level 3 Social Services Children and Young People certification. So we grow from within, which then goes back to my point I made about 10, 15 minutes ago, that a well-paid, sustainable job is the best way out of poverty. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's why I got up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Long story short. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's brilliant. I actually really want to ask you a question in terms of visionary, because this is something that I talk a lot about with people. When you have a vision and you see it, do you feel it? Yes. Yeah, so you know. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have had, what, what I think what I'm trying to say is, I've had loads of ideas. Yeah, yeah. Opening cafes and, you know, we were going to open a cafe up at the Glasgow Fort uh, and we had permission from British Land to own Glasgow Fort. You know, one of these silver American type uh, uh, kind of van things, big silver thing. It was going to cost us about 80 grand. I didn't, I didn't, I never had that fuzzy feel in my tummy. Yeah. 
you but know, it's definitely a feeling, yeah, isn't it? Where 100%. You just go, well, hairs on the back of your neck. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You know, see, then yesterday, when the first time I looked at the business plan, no, didn't, I didn't feel it. I knew as part of my own journey, I suppose, it wasn't going to work and it wouldn't yeah. have worked. But then when we looked at it again, the 1140 hours, I did everything in, et cetera, et cetera. I took it to the board and I was excited and I yeah. felt that fuzzy feeling. Yeah. Exact same with Fair Play Stepford. You know, see the four million building that we we're going to build in Coke Bridge? didn't really have a fuzzy feeling of thinking this could sink the organisation yeah. it didn't feel right but I wrote the business plan because you know that's what I'd said to to centre communities what we were going to do and and to to my board of trustees you know when I parked it in, in March 2020 because of Covid I was pretty glad to yeah. be honest because I was thinking yeah. there's something not there's something quite not quite right. right then lo and behold you know Covid was absolutely terrible but you know, for the, for many, many reasons, but for fair, there was an opportunity then to be had with Stepford and we dusted that business plan down. And when I dusted it and rewrote it, you knew it I had a right funny, fuzzy feeling yeah, I get yeah, in yeah. my tummy. And, and, and I, I went and I, I sold it to the board and yeah, with, with all the passion that, that I, yeah. I give to everything I do, but yeah. And it's fascinating, isn't it? Cause I, I, keep on writing about it or talking to people about it because I think there's absolutely there's just something there and I don't know whether it's actually about seeing something but it might be about being able to see something to articulate it but if you don't feel it yeah it's not or, or, or you can park it you've had it leave it there for a bit and then if it's I mean, right, it maybe I'll come back in years to come I mean we at fair when Rosemary was the CEO we discussed lots of social enterprise initiatives you know you know <laughs> Lots and lots of them opening up, you know, a funeral parlour as an example. I didn't have the fuzzy feeling. I yeah. don't know anything about it. And actually, that's maybe one of the things, you know, I don't know anything about early years, but I know about children and young people and, and or families. Yeah, what they need. What they need. What I needed was the expertise of our manager to come in and deputy manager to come in and run it for us once the yeah. business plan that was there. And actually, that's what we were done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's the same for Stepford. Do, do I know how to run a, a, a large football complex? <laughs> no, I don't. But I've got enough business acumen behind me to be able to say, yeah, I know of the bigger picture. What I need is people on the ground. And we, we, we recruited a number of local people who are part of Easter House Academy and various other places, but, and they run it on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not down to Jimmy to run it. No. I just need to make sure the numbers stack up. Yeah, which is brilliant. That's fantastic. So given everything that you've learned, what top three things would you advise any leader to be strategic or whatever, or just any leader? Yeah, I would say that don't be scared of getting things wrong. Yeah. You know, getting things wrong, and I've got lots of things wrong in the past, is is part of the, the journey uh, of, of, being a, of being a leader and and please don't be scared of that. You know, you'll learn from that. But also the, the, the programme or project or whatever it is didn't go quite well. If you if you strip it all back, they'll be learning from it. So I would definitely say that. I'd say keep up to date with legislation. If you're definitely, if, you, if you're in the private sector, then keep up to date with legislation of what local and national government are doing because there is probably something that aligns to your mm. your own business model. And, and I would say to any leader within the charitable sector, Keep up to date with it, but don't allow it to drive your no, your business. Yeah. You know, so so that that, that would be two. And uh, I think probably when you're looking at your leadership team, always remember that not all the leaders within that team are going to be the same as you. You know, so I'm, I'm a forward. You know, a lead from the front. 
And many of the leaders who are in our leadership team at FAIR don't need from the front. Yeah. But there's nothing wrong with that. But you complement each other. 100%. Yeah. You know, uh, actually, the, 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 the ones who lead from the back are thinkers. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying I don't think, but because of my background within the armed forces, I lead from the front. And if a, an obstacle was put in front of me, I very quickly either go through it or ground it. Yeah. And that's just the training that I had within the armed forces. Whereas yeah. thinkers might not need to even come across that obstacle. Yeah. If that makes sense. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. We all compliment each other, but I think as a leader, you need to remember, not everybody. You don't want a mirror image of you. Yeah. You know, so I would say that. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And last question, which I don't think you've got, because I think I might have got it before, is, I'm not sure. How can the listeners help you to make a difference, help FAIR or, or you? It's not so much me, but I, I would say that, uh, I think, come back to the, one of the very first questions, well, you know, I can't remember what it was, but why did I do what I do? It's to tackle poverty in all its forms. And at the moment, because of the COVID, because of the amount of money that national and Scottish government spent, and then straight into a cost of living crisis, you know, the child poverty uh, delivery plan was was written and then uh, released in 2022 to 2026. And it talks in there about reducing child poverty. And that's absolutely not going to happen. You know, and if if we can all, you know, come together in some way to tackle child poverty, I mean, in Glasgow alone, there is, you know, 30 to 40% of children waking up in the morning are in poverty. You know, they're not going to get a breakfast. And I think in Scotland today, I just I think that's just so sad. Yeah. And if we can come together through the listeners and, and through Scottish government and local government and national government down in Westminster to try and tackle that, we're in the United Kingdom. Come on, let's sort this out. Wayne shouldn't be waking up in the morning hungry and going to school hungry. It's not a great place to learn if they're sitting hungry. Yeah. You can't, you just kind of do it. All right, Jimmy, thank you. I could talk to you for hours. You and I'm very glad that you and Farah are here. <laughs> thank you, Kirsty. doing a wonderful job as my headphones come off. All right, cheers. If you have any thoughts, comments or questions, please find me on Instagram, links in the show notes, and please also subscribe and review. Thank you for listening to Making the Difference.